Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the World Cup on Caught Offside. Rivaldo! Andrew and JJ. Oh, yes. Caught offside from just outside of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, JJ Devaney, winding down a World Cup weekend. What's up, brother? Everything's up, Andrew. A lot happened today. A lot happened yesterday. And we're going to try and, and, and parse through as much of it as we can. Can I just say that I am just... I just love the hell out of this thing. I don't care. They could have nil-nils at the half for the rest of time. I don't yeah. care if another goal is scored in the entire tournament. I hope this I hope this never ends. I hope that some Arsene Wenger comes in with some FIFA stipulation midway through the <laughs> tournament and we're playing this thing up through February. I just love it. I can't get enough of it. Uh, today I was lying on the couch watching Canada and Croatia, and I got that feeling that I, I knew I'd get eventually. And it was a feeling that I had when, when I was a kid watching it. This is bloody brilliant. This is great. I'm enjoying every little aspect of the games. Um, and I even enjoy the fact that my friends who are my non-soccer friends even want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and want to watch games. It's, uh, it's fantastic. And they rounded off the game with a true, uh, the day rather, the weekend rather with a truly fascinating one in Spain and Germany. And just, it, it's so compelling. It's so interesting. The final day, as you can see across many of the groups, is going to be thoroughly, thoroughly interesting. We can oh, take some trends from this world. Only one nation has qualified so far for the round of 16, heading into the final day. Yeah. I mean, even, even France with their attacking flair, there's still question marks. They're not perfect either. And then you've got Brazil... And their injury issues, and they've yet to play. And 
Oh, there's just so much going on. It's um, I know. it's really really great. And then and then there's even some equally compelling stories which we will get to at the end of the podcast that uh, exist outside of the white lines of the field. But even, I mean, it's all World Cup all the time. And and this is the this is the genius of the World Cup, and it's the genius of maybe the the stubbornness and the and the the pig headedness of FIFA. They're like, listen, just go ahead with it because once we get them into game, the round, the second round of group games, all these people are hooked. It is true, it. though. It's it so true, man. Like, despite their best efforts, we're gonna love this thing. You know, like, like as hard as FIFA may try to like ruin this <laughs> in many ways, un- inadvertently, we can't help but love it. It's just you're right. Once the games start, and the other thing you mentioned too, with like the off the field stuff. Look, I know some of it is ugly. It's very interesting. But the drama, but it just builds drama and it pushes storylines from one match to the next and it gets you sucked in. And you're right, too, about like people in my life that are not soccer people. So many of them I found to be as in on this tournament as any that I can remember. Like my family is paying attention to this in a way that I've never seen before. It's fascinating. It's good for you because they have so little interest in your life that at least they are interested in one aspect of your life. Yeah, we're really bonding over this. It's been really, really nice. Um, it's, it's great. Look, it's great. And, you know, even I called my dad yesterday and he was so pumped to see how Messi would do against Mexico. And I was, I went, so for the for the England-USA game, I watched it here because I, in my apartment, I really wanted to lock in. And I do feel that at a bar, sometimes you miss little nuances and pieces because there might be someone in your ear or there's noise. You just watch uh, it differently. Yeah. yeah, but but I I had to go to a bar for for Argentina Mexico, which is probably the first game we'll start with, and um, ah, oh, atmosphere wise, just amazing. Uh, of course, I wandered in wearing a Boca Juniors top, not really thinking it through, and it was a bar uh, full of um, full of my uh, Mexican neighbors, just like wall to wall. Um, even one guy in a Jorge Campos 1994 jersey, which I had so much respect for. And there was a small pocket of Argentinian supporters in there, which uh, I kind of gravitated towards because I was wearing a, an Argentina top. But the was, atmosphere... it like a, was it like a record scratch moment when you walked in? Oh, I looked around and I was like, oh, but I had my top zipped up, but it was very warm in there. So I knew my, I, my tracky top would have to come off and yeah. I would reveal. And it was so weird because afterwards, the, the Mexican fans, they were in no way embittered. They completely took their beating and I got fist bumps from them and they said, you know, they were glad that Messi had scored. You know, if someone was, one guy said, if someone's going to score, I'm glad it was him, but it sucks that we lost, but we didn't play well enough. And then they heard me speak expecting some kind of South American accent and then they heard my accent and they're like, oh, that's that's the strangest Argentinian I've ever seen. (laughs) But yeah, brilliant atmosphere and that's what the World Cup brings and that's why um, it's a heck of a tool for... uh, for marketing and for whatever else you want it's the vibes were so good that's cool that's cool it is one of the great things i mean every city in the u.s to a certain extent can say this but since i've you know i've lived in new york the last almost 16 years um new york from a sports perspective is arguably never more fun than during a major international soccer tournament whether that be usually the world cup but uh, you know you get some of it too with the euros depending on what part of the city you're in yeah um you certainly get you can get it too with copa america um like the 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 way bars just populate with people from all different countries it's just it's 
It's such a fun time. If I wanted to go to a bar that was representing each country in this World Cup, I could do it. Easily. Easily. Yeah. So um, that, well, that says let's, everything. Let's, let's get right into it. The game that you okay. were talking about, the one that you uh, took in. Where were you? The, the Black Horse? Black Horse, yeah. Um, which is, like, generally is, I mean, it, it was packed for USA, England, and it was packed again for this one. So it's, it's, a, it's a spot that's become a bit of a hub. Uh, for World Cup activity and um, our our friends in South America and Central America, they they gravitate towards it because yeah. it's just a great place to watch games. Yeah. Um, I, I should say real quick before we dive fully into that game, just so people know what's coming up, like JJ, like you mentioned, we'll get into some, some of the bigger results from the past few days over the course of this weekend, sort of the things that caught our eye over the last two or three days or so. Uh, and then I should say, because I know I saw, I mean, Twitter was... USMNT Twitter is always a fun place, never more so than during the Eric Winalda greg Berhalter situation on uh, Saturday morning. So we will obviously have thoughts on that as well, because I know I have doubled down significantly on Berhalter's reasons for not playing Gio Reyna. It's become a little bit harder to have that position over the last <laughs> 24 hours. Thanks, Eric. Uh, so we'll, of course, talk about that, because, again, like we said, like the way the way storylines build around this tournament, it's... Like it's just a it's a blast. Like I just I love it. I absolutely love it. In the um, last few days, there was ex US players running their mouth and ex US managers really going in hard. We'll sure we'll were. Get, we'll get to Jurgen who um, whoa he 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 created a bit of a storm. Yeah yeah, uh, oh man. Um, so yeah, <laughs> all those things. And I should say too, uh, obviously on Tuesday that is that is the day for the US. That is a essentially a playoff game between the United States and Iran to advance to the round of 16. It's one of the biggest games that the U.S. has played in quite some time. Uh, we, of course, will have a podcast. We'll have it out later that evening. Can't give you an exact time, but keep those feeds refreshed starting somewhere somewhere in the nighttime hours. Because we uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know we're going to have a lot of thoughts on it. Yeah, and don't let up. Uh, go uh, like, subscribe. We've got our uh, reaction uh, live stream on our YouTube uh, the link will be in the description for this podcast. So go over there and you can rewatch the way we reacted to England nil, uh, United States nil the other day. And like, subscribe everywhere. Spotify, iTunes, leave a review. The more reviews, the better. Indeed. All right, so let's go to the game that we were just talking about, that JJ took in amongst Mexican fans while wearing a Boca Juniors jersey. Full kit W or, or just the shirt? Uh, no, I, I went... Um, I went with just the shirt. Coward. However, Ty, who is a listener of ours, and um, I, I hope I'm saying his right his name properly now, Ty Schalter. Uh, he's a generally a, a football guy. Um, at Ty Schalter, T Y S C H A L T E R. Um, uh, he's a football guy of the of the college American variety. Mm-hmm. He went full kit W. Nice for USA versus England and posted a picture of it. Good for so, him. A lot of respect. Looking slightly like Marcelo Balboa. Um, <laughs> if there's ever a time when full kit W is acceptable, it's during a World Cup. I think everyone has full kit W amnesty during this uh, one-month period. Um, for this game, JJ, first off, Messi. I mean, like, it, it's why, it's why, to me, it wouldn't be fair in some ways if people want to hold, like, let's say Argentina don't go on and win the World Cup. Um, if people want to go and hold it against him on his legacy that he doesn't have one, 
there are days like this one, Argentina, Argentina versus Mexico, that you kind of have to look at it and say, I don't know what else he could have done. Like the number of times we've seen him put Argentina on his back, we can go back to 2014 when they lost an extra time. He won the golden ball of that tournament. Um, so like for me, it's why when people bring up the conversation as to whether or not there will be some, yeah, there's all there. If they don't win it, there would be a hole in his resume, uh, but it will never change the way I feel about him as a player, his place in the game. I will always view him as the greatest player I ever saw, whether he gets one or not. And this one against Mexico with the tension mounting, uh, Argentina kind of staring down the barrel of the possibility of them crashing out in one of the great World Cup disappointments in recent history. And when you need someone to to stand up and and be counted upon, there he is. Who else but him? Yeah. I I, I thought um I thought it just to, just to focus on his goal. First of all, even in the run up to the game, he looked much more relaxed. So this guy, whatever weight has been exercised from his shoulders, with that Copa America win, it continues despite the loss to Saudi Arabia. He, he did look relaxed. Now, he got kicked around the place as many Argentinian players did in that first half by Mexico. That was... I, I got text messages from home, Andrew. So we, we're exposed to a lot of common ball and a lot of CONCACAF football. So we see that some of these games, and please don't think I'm doing a culturalism on it, <laughs> it is, especially the tense games, there's not a quarter given... There is a lot of... They're of nasty. Ta- it's nasty, tough tackling, turgid stuff. You can't say that the first half wasn't the case. And, and you're wondering, can Messi flourish in this? But the goal, the quick touch, Mexico for one second, 10 seconds, leaving a circle of space for him was just such a fatal error. And the way he slides at home, how many times have we seen him do that for club and country? It was just quintessential Messi. And it really, it gave Argentina what they needed. Now, you say about him taking the team on his back. The concern would be, I, I'm more generous than Tim Vickery. I thought on the 24th or 20, it, it took them 25 minutes for Argentina to put any co- kind of coherent move together. Um, Tim Vickery says it took them till the 50th minute to put a cohesive pa- passage of play together. Again, they toiled, they struggled, they had to grind it out. Part of it was their own inability to get flow going. A big part of it was Mexico's kind of um, resilience and in a way, and please don't take this the wrong way, Mexican fans, negativity. I mean, they were pretty, pretty negative. So you'd worry then if people just watch that game and think, well, this is how we stop Argentina. We play five at the back. We cut off passing lanes and we tackle and foul and tackle and foul and get in their faces as much as possible, then we can stop them. But um, Argentina got it done. Had Messi not had that moment of of space and also inspiration, you wonder if this was just going to grind to a nil-nil. It certainly felt that way. It did. It did. And you could just see the release of all that tension when he went and did that. And and it was never more evident than on the face. Who was it? Pablo Aymar, the uh, assistant manager for Argentina, who... The camera, I think, found him on the Argentinian side after that goal had gone in, and he's in tears. Like, that's an assistant manager. These are the people who are supposed to kind of keeping everyone calm and measured. Like, it just goes to show that the pressure on that country, uh, I don't know if there's any country feeling it in a bigger way because, again, they're not just playing for their nation. I, I do think that they all feel this responsibility to try to get him, to try to get Messi one of these across the line because they just know that he sh- 
he should have one. Like I said, for me, it won't affect anything in terms of how I view him, but it would feel right for him to get one. It's why Argentina is kind of the sentimental favorite in this World Cup for so many people. And, you know, something I've been wondering about, JJ, with regards to Argentina, um, I wonder if the pressure on them to ensure that this disappointment doesn't happen in the group stage, that if they're able to, to survive that, if then we'll see them kind of like be able to really breathe once they get to the knockout stage and then we'll see the real version of them. Like when the competition is supposed to get harder, I wonder if it then might actually become easier for them because of the release that they'll feel getting out of this. Like for like as a comparison, um, something near and dear to my heart, the Phillies this year in baseball, like they hadn't been in the play. They had, they had the longest streak of not making the playoffs in the national league. They've had some close calls this year. It came right down to the wire and they did it. They got into the postseason, and it felt like there was this, like, ah, okay, we did the hard part. And then when it's supposed to get harder, that's when they kicked on and they were free, they weren't thinking, and they wound up, next thing you know, they wound up two wins away from winning a World Series. I wonder if something like that could happen with Argentina as well, where when it's supposed to get tougher, they'll feel freer in going about it. Yeah, possibly, and also maybe what they'll be looking for from this Mexican, this victory over Mexico is, is, is that sense of, okay, we've got the win now that this can be kind of a um, a jumping off point, that their football will get incrementally better. I'd, I don't know. It didn't happen in 2018 after the win over um, Nigeria. No, they ran into France in the in the knockout, uh, yeah. knockout round, which was a thrilling game in which they were, I mean, fairly soundly beaten, I suppose. So I, do, I really don't know. Um, but they'll need, to, they'll need to play better. They can play better. And... Surely every team they play in it from here on in is not going to be as as difficult and as obtuse as Mexico. And let's go to that side of it now, the Mexican side of it, because um, I've been thinking about the manager there, uh, Tata Martino, and how he yeah. he entered this tournament. Um, I would say in a in a bad place with that team and with the fan base by his own admission. I mean, he knew that there was a target on him coming into this. And then I saw Hercules Gomez tweet the following about Tata Martino. He says, lost CONCACAF Nations League final versus the U.S., lost Gold Cup final versus the USC team, unable to beat U.S., Canada, and Costa Rica at Azteca in World Cup qualifying, lost in Cincinnati versus the U.S., lost in Edmonton versus Canada, all this in the last 18 months leading up to FIFA World Cup. JJ, I think about the way the U.S. fan base treats Greg Berhalter, who has been on the winning side of half of those mentions just made by Hercules Gomez. Imagine if old Triple G had lost all of those. First of all, if he had, he's not sniffing this tournament. He's probably gone months ago. The fact that Tata has lasted this long is a minor miracle in itself for a nation in Mexico that went through a period of time where they were changing managers like I change underpants. And here he is now in this moment... Um, they're not playing very well. I mean, it's it's not good for this guy, and I I don't see a way that I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm I'm reading through all that. I'm kind of surprised that he even made it this far, uh, and I I don't know what his future would be with this team if they find their way out of this into the knockout round. Then I guess all bets are off. Sure, I guess he can continue, but I'm surprised I'm surprised that he's made it to this point. Yeah, it's it's funny. I I didn't think that much about. I, of course, I thought about Tata Martino afterwards because I do feel there was like he was going to 
there was a feeling he was going to be the silver bullet for this team. But I just kind of looked at the at the team in general. Like if you look at the midfield, Andrew, did you not think when Guardado was substituted and even every time the cam would, camera would pan to Hector Herrera, Herrera that's those are, that's a thirty six year old and a thirty two year old, and then they bring on Raúl Jiménez. I know even uh, Moreno, Hector Moreno, he's what, 30, he's 34. It just seems like this team is in transition and it hasn't really found its youthful step yet and he hasn't been able to integrate newer, younger players. They, they, looked, they look kind of old. And if anything, if there is one thread, albeit a thread that Croatia challenged a little bit today against Canada, it's that the younger, more athletic, faster teams are to the fore. What be that Morocco, be that, be that whoever, and that teams like we'll say Mexico, Belgium, Wales, with with older key players in their sides are really struggling, and th- that's what came across to me yesterday. Um, Mexico just seemed a bit, a bit over the hill. I know the lineup change, the formation change, was a huge deal in the build up to that. Mexico have traditionally played one way and then on the eve of this game against Argentina one of the biggest games in recent Mexican history uh they switched up to the 5-3-2 mm. um I don't know if that was I mean in the end it will wind up going down I guess as a as a mistake it almost worked though like it, it took a moment of messy magic I mean if that's if that's what it takes to beat your system I think you kind of have to sometimes just tip your cap to the opposition I think so, but the best it was going to get was a draw, which I suppose in the context, I mean, that would have had them on two points. I, I suppose that would have been good. Um, but like they offered so little. Outside of the free kick, which Emi Martinez, I thought it was actually a pretty good save, but he, he also caught it, which kind of, when you see a ball go over the wall and the keeper doesn't tip it around the post, he can actually catch it and bring it to the ground with a full-length dive. Makes me think there was an element of camera save and comfortability. Yeah, more performative. I mean, outside of that, what did they do? Not much. No. What was um, the feeling in the bar? Did you talk to some of the fans yeah, there? I, I talked to people afterwards, basically, because they came up and, and, and they were quite willing to say Argentina deserved it. And they were a little upset with the... I mean, there was only twice or three times that a full Mexico chant just swept through the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there, was a, there was a sense that they were disappointed with the tactics. And that's from every single Mexico fan. There was no recriminations. There was nothing about referees. There was nothing about, ah, it took Messi to beat us. It was it, none of that. They felt they were soundly beaten. And I wonder if that represents the greater Mexican support across across America and Mexico itself. I, I, would, I would guess that it might. Uh, yeah, I would, I would guess that as well. Um, and now looking ahead to what the final group stage match will mean for them, Mexico must beat Saudi Arabia to have a chance and win by four or more goals. Uh, that would Winning by four or more goals would guarantee qualification. Mm-hmm. Um, if Poland and Mexico win, Mexico finish second. If Poland lose and Mexico win, second place will be decided between Poland and Mexico on group goal, differenti- uh, goal difference and goals scored, and Mexico would have to overturn a deficit of four goals. Um, it's, so it's... I don't think they would be anyone's favorite right now to go through, but it's still it's still possible. They're going to need some help. Yeah, and they're going to have to play beyond themselves. Certainly beyond what they've done so far. They were they were good 
in, in, in the sense, not good, but they were resolute versus Poland. Hardly a huge attacking threat there either. Their system got found out somewhat against Argentina or they weren't able to turn that into a positive result. And now they're going to have to go and play football, win a game. And yeah. that's a challenge. And you wonder, yeah. can they do it? Yep. We'll see. Uh, let's see. We continue now, JJ, another one of the games that caught our eye from over the uh, holiday weekend. France, they take down Denmark 2-1 in a, in a tight one. France, the only team that has qualified for the round of 16 after the first two matches, which is it's an accomplishment given all of the injuries that they've been dealt over the course of before the tournament and even now during the tournament. Um, it's it's an impressive feat. Denmark are not an easy opponent, and they showed that, but France are just, even with everything that they're dealing with injury-wise, they're just on a different level. And watching this one, I mean, I guess the storyline coming out of this is just Mbappe. I mean, he's he's just one of those guys who can kind of take a game upon himself and and make it his um and i'm just wondering about him did he like did he need this I, coming off of a disappointing yeah. he's coming off a disappointing euros uh and then with psg you know there's like i don't know he's kind of cast himself as a a little bit of a villain maybe between all the is he gonna go Oh, he's signing a new contract, but then immediately turns around and now says he wants to go. There's been questions about, you know, the figure that he is in that room among his teammates, how he's viewed. Uh, You know, it seemed like a little bit of a negative narrative was building around him despite his great play. But now on the biggest stage imaginable, he's already having an unbelievable tournament. And it feels like, again, like he's great no matter what, but I don't know, felt like felt like he was in need of a good thing to happen and it, and it's certainly happening for him right now well um, we're getting a lot of uh not a lot but you have the the same kind of likely characters on social media whenever you tweet something or do something on the podcast that they don't like or don't want to hear about you get the old stick to soccer and i think it's <laughs> nice for mbappe to come to a world cup and just stick to soccer not be the ceo of Paris Saint-Germain not be the kind of uh, upset superstar, the prima donna who now wants, or reportedly wanted to leave. I mean, think of all the reports we were reading from people like Julian Laurent about how he's asked to leave just months after being handing the keys to the club. So you're right, he absolutely needed to do this. Now, we've seen in the Champions League in, in flashes him just totally reminding us of what a force he is. But that's really all we've had because no disrespect to Ligue 1, not that many people watch it. Uh, and those who keep an eye on it expect PSG to win every single game. So his exposure is in the Champions League and with this French national team. So when you see him do what he did yesterday um, in flashes, I mean, there was, there was 12, I think it was the 35th minute where they were just, it was an onslaught left and right wing from France. Um, and you just felt like Denmark need, I tweeted that Denmark needed half time 12 minutes early. They really did. Uh, and they did so well to come back into the game and, and, and tie it up. But I mean, in terms of the XG, France were, France were well on top. But um, back to Mbappe. Yes. Categorically, yes. All we needed to see from him and hear from him was football related things and not, nothing to do with his, um, well, his PSG life and, and any turmoil that might be there. So he's given us that. He really has. Yeah. There is a sense, though, after two games that 
as good as the French are, they're only probably going to get better. And and again, another interesting wrinkle is that, um, it may be too early for this kind of thing, but the articles are being written about how there's a better balance to this French team where they don't have to accommodate Benzema as at centre forward. Doesn't make... The, I mean, it doesn't lessen Benzema as a player. We're just talking about the system. But it, it does a little if the suggestion is that France may be better off without him. No, but sometimes it's like... Do you ever think... I, I often thought with, uh, with Frank Lampard, like the, when Frank Lampard had his first season and he could make no transfers and he finished, what, in the top four, and everyone thought, what a good season from Frank Lampard. How well has he done? And I thought the minute that they were given $200 million to spend on all these weapons, that's the minute Frank fell apart because he's like, what do I do with all these? And I think there's that element to France too that if you reduce it down to the core elements of, of the speed from Dembele and from Mbappe with a very selfless centre forward in Giroud that you can get the best out of the team. Like sometimes the simple is the best. Like your favourite meal is often the least complicated meal. You know, I love beans on toast. It's very, very simple, but it's so tasty and it's got all the elements and I can make it. And Didier Deschamps is a beans on toast manager. He's not a guy that has a complicated system. He's never had. And now that he's just got enough firepower that he can put on the field, that is just perfect. He doesn't want to be overcomplicated. Just keep it simple. You know, there is something to that. You've swayed me a little. And, and because what, what, you, like, you, you, lo- you start to miss out on the, si- the situations of like guys overthinking a pass. Like, okay, right. I think Mbappe's there, but Benzema's calling for it. I don't want to piss him off. Uh, you know, you start like uh, maybe you have a little more harmony in the, the locker room in terms of yeah. guys who like know what their role is uh, versus guys who aren't playing but feel like they should be playing. Like, yeah, so I guess we can see, we can see that now. The problem would be as the tournament goes on and they're going to start facing harder opposition, then like, okay, when it's nil-nil and it's just like not working, it'd be nice to have a Kareem Benzema who can just create something out of absolutely nothing because we've seen him do it over and over again in the last calendar year for Real Madrid. So like, that's, that's where you miss it. But I, for here and now, I, I get what you're saying. I agree. But like, how nice is this? You know, for Giroud as the number nine, that's a given. Um, we all know he's a really good player and probably a chronically underrated one. I don't know how much more he has to do. But Kylian Mbappe down the left, Griezmann central, floating around, creating things, and then Dembele on the right-hand side. That's that's nice. That's sure. really nice. Yeah, it absolutely is. Mbappe, JJ, uh, he's now scored more World Cup goals than Thierry Henry. Mbappe is 23 years old, and Henry played in four World Cups. That's uh, That's pretty remarkable. I guess I don't know who that says more about. Should, should Henri have scored a lot more goals than he did? Yeah, but don't forget, Henri's first tournament was 1998, and he was still in that, oh no, am I a winger? Am I a striker? Oh no, Stefan Givarch is number nine, a man who would then never score a goal again. He didn't score in that tournament at all. So France have been like this. And then Euro 2000, he wasn't, like, Henri wasn't the main striker there. You could argue, I mean, there was a couple of guys who came in and scored goals for them. There was, like, Sylvain Viltor, um, mm. and there was... was uh, David Trezeguet? There was Trezeguet there, too. So there was a lot of competition for places there. And there, there was um, Christophe Dugarry. You know, so... Um, so France had, like, had a, a lot of players there. And, and, and really, Henri, it was towards, I would say... 
um, after Euro 2000, then after he exploded at Arsenal from those years on to the mid-2000s and then on to 2010, that he was really head honcho, main guy number one. Yeah. Uh, so France into the round of 16, the only nation so far to have qualified for that. Uh, a couple other ones quickly, JJ. Uh, Robert Lewandowski finally scores his first World Cup goal. Boy, but, didn't look like it meant much to him, huh? He oh, only broke but, down on the field in the middle of the game. <laughs> what a gift, though, too. What a yeah. just a, And you can see it's one of those where the defender is trying to open out. He's doing the right thing, and he's just left it a bit too far, and he's stretching, and you're like, uh-oh. And in goes Lewandowski, who, who slots it home. And what an what a excellent win for the... For Poland, that's four points. That's really, really good. And um, and Lewandowski can now get that uh, that proverbial um, chip off his shoulder or that 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 non goal scoring um, issue off his back. He's just he's there. He scored his goal. Forget about it. He can kick on. Um, and uh, and yeah. So I, I meant to ask you the the video of uh, Renard, the Saudi Arabian manager was going round okay mm -hmm. and uh everybody was tweeting it and, look at this look at his passion at halftime against against uh, argentina when they're losing look how he inspires people and he's talking through an interpreter and i always i just you never see the video where a team gets hammered five nil you know you don't see that one or they're beaten two nil you never see the halftime team talking that you only see these ones and so that that kind of skews for me their value and he's shouting, if you want a picture with Messi, take a picture and all this stuff. I want to see his halftime for the defeat at Poland. I want that. Right. Okay? <laughs> Give me that. That's a great point. I mean, it's sadly jaded, um, your inability to uh, to receive inspiration. But it, but it doesn't mean that you're wrong. It doesn't mean that you're wrong. <laughs> um, another one, too, speaking of viral videos, the um, boy, the Australians know how to celebrate a goal, don't oh. they? The scenes from back in Australia with the, the goal yeah. that they scored to go on and beat Tunisia, I mean, it's just, I just I just want to be there. I want to be a part of that. I, I, oh, absolutely awesome. I was so happy because through, uh, I guess, through the ESPN feed, we've got this like cohort of, of um, Australian supporters and listeners. And we've got the guys from Kirui that sent us those jerseys before, big soccer club. Um and we've we've just I I've got loads of messages I put up. Well done to our Australian listeners. We've got loads of messages. Uh, thank you, and they're absolutely buzzing. It was a really good finish from uh, from Dukes as well. It was a uh, it was good stuff. Now, I mean, it was an unexpected victory. Uh, they've still got a bit to do, but uh, I mean, after what happened against France, to bounce back and win a game. Excellent. So that was for me. Um... You know, it's now happened several times throughout the course of this tournament, and we'll, and we'll get into it when we talk a little bit about Costa Rica. Um, but crazy, the, the Australia game was when I started to kind of wake up to the fact that okay, this World Cup is going to be different. Like what we, the takeaways that we may have had from Game One mean Jack S in Game Two, and then the takeaways that we have from Game Two will mean Jack S in Game Three. Like I think that this tournament is going to just be a I don't know if there's going to be a common thread through these games. It feels like it's just going to be every game is a standalone tournament unto itself uh, because Australia were just absolutely mauled and taken apart. Granted, it was by France, but they just looked so overmatched that you kind of thought, well, like, okay, well, they're bottom of the group and everybody else will be playing yeah. for second and third or whatever, and France will top it. Um, but 
no, like they bounce right back and they, they take down Tunisia and they're right back in the thick of this. And it's just, I think what we've seen that now on repeat throughout the course of this tournament. Um, and it was cool to see the Aussies be one of those teams to, to have done that. Yeah. Um, the XG philosophy tweeted, this world cup has had no regard for XG. So, um, <laughs> we'll get to, we'll, we're going to get to this game, but Japan 1.05, Costa Rica 0.12. Who wins that game? Uh, Argentina 0.29, Mexico 0.22. That was much tighter than uh, than I originally thought. Um, uh, France 2.58, uh, Denmark 0.77. So that kind of played out. I mean, I guess uh, France probably should have scored should have scored more. Uh, Poland, 2.04. Saudi Arabia, 1.87. But Tunisia and Australia, like Tunisia, 1.10. Australia, 0.61. So you're right. There's um, there's a lot going on that kind, kind of defies... You can play well. I mean, it's always the case in soccer, but you can you can play pretty well and, and still come out on the wrong side in this World Cup, which, which adds a Deserve a lovely... is nothing. Deserve is nothing. One of my Deserve greatest ever nothing. rants on this podcast. I hate yeah, rant. Yeah. Rant isn't right. One of my Soliloquy? greatest ever comments. Monologue? Soliloquy. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. Um, one other thing on Australia, just like expounding a little bit more on the, the scenes that you saw when that goal happened and the, the parties that ensued. Um, I've been wondering about Australia. You know, I, I think of the United States as a sports mad culture. Yeah. You know, we have certainly, you know, I, I'd say... There's a lot of sports here that are a huge effing deal that, you know, stadiums are filled every weekend for a lot of different sporting events. That's hard sure. to do. And and not every country has a sports culture like that. Um, and I and as a sports fan that lives in the United States, I love that. It's awesome. Um, I feel like Australia has a lot of that in their in their culture as well. I think that is also a sports mad country oh. between the way they feel about Australian rules, football, rugby, soccer. Like they got a lot of time Cricket. for a lot of different sports. Cricket, sure. I mean, that's you know, even like going to tennis. You know, Australian Open is a huge deal. Um, you know that I, I I work now with a couple Australians at my job, and you know they you get a sense from them that like sports is a way of life in that country. I know this is true of a lot of places, but I, I don't know. I feel like I get a sense that it's, it means sports mean just a ton in that place, which I think is again, yet another reason why I, I secretly want to be Australian. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, because I've always found them to be uh, through the TV shows of home and away and neighbors, very popular so uh, soap operas in, in the UK and in Ireland too. I've always found them a deeply attractive people but of course oh, you only go. put attractive people on tv as well but no australian rules football is a massive sport huge sport it's i mean by the way ireland sends well sometimes uh, gaelic footballers amateur gaelic footballers are recruited and they go and play um gaelic uh, australian rules football down there because i'm sure way back in the day during the days of the empire um there was a crossover between the two sports in fact i i firmly believe gaelic football was the precursor Australian rules football down there, but they've got rugby union and rugby league. You know, I mean, yeah, soccer is yeah. soccer is kind of well down the charts there. It's true, um, but, but it's wouldn't growing. Know it. Yeah, it's growing. Yeah, uh, let's see a couple other games. Obviously, we kind of move into uh, earlier today on Sunday. Um, in just <laughs> the Japan Costa Rica <laughs> match. So I, I full disclosure, way, I did not. I, I did not see this one. Um, no, my, I, I 
I thought I could. I'm just like you. I thought this is one I could give a miss to. And it was five in the morning on a Sunday. Um, we had a lot of family over for our, uh, a second Thanksgiving. We did first Thanksgiving with my side of the family, <sighs> then second Thanksgiving on Saturday with my the wife's side of the right. family. The are right. You are so bougie and upper class. Is that oh, bougie? Two Thanksgivings. Anyone can do that. It's not a money thing. Oh, that's decadent. decadent. It was all exclusively leftovers that were if eaten. I, if you were doing like, if there was a E true Hollywood like kind of um, into a famous family, we'll say like the Kardashians. The Kardashians spent two Thanksgivings this year. That that's I mean that's the territory you're in. The it's just spending time said- with both sides of the family. Hmm. This is I don't I mean in bo- I, look. In different wings of your mansion in Westchester. <laughs> Look, you're the Pied Piper. I'm sure everyone will go along with what you're saying. Oh, bougie Andy, bougie Andy. But this is a bad take, all right? This is just spending time with family and eating leftovers. I got leftovers. it. I'm only winding you up. Um, but anyway, so like there was that. So you know, there was a little bit of partying going on. Then in the middle of the night, my uh, son had a nightmare. So now he's in our room. So I was like, the clock went off. And I was just like, ah, nah, I just can't. <laughs> And then, so then I woke up for good and saw what had happened. And I just like, that was when I, I kind of fired off a tweet that like, we just have to stop. We got to stop predicting stuff and making assumptions about teams in this tournament, because this is now the world cup of unpredictability. You, we don't know what we don't know. Um, and you know, to see Costa Rica lose seven nil and it not bother them. They come back in their next game and win. Not just draw, but go on and win against a team that had just pulled off the second biggest upset of the tournament themselves in Japan. It's just like, I don't know, nothing nothing really makes sense here. And you talk about deserve is nothing. I mean, how did Costa Rica do this? They, they touched the ball twice in the <laughs> opponent's box. They scored on one of them. Japan completely dominated the game, but that's... That's the story of this tournament, and it's making me think something sort of, I guess, the unpredictability of this tournament combined with what you were saying before about this tournament, some of the older legs looking yeah. older than normal. You know, I'm wondering if just one of the one of the byproducts of this tournament happening when it is, yes. uh, is, is it's yielding a more unpredictable game. Players who are for their club teams have been playing, you know, in a frantic schedule domestically with champions league and Europa league games mixed in. If they are just more tired than some of these smaller nations whose leagues either maybe took place in another calendar part of the year, they have players who are not necessarily playing the sort of frantic schedule that some of the bigger club players have been. I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching, but, it doesn't feel like a coincidence to me that so many strange results are coming out of this tournament. We thought there might be some unpredictability. Um, I, I do think in some cases it's look, it, it, it's the case that, look, Wales, why have Wales been kind of in general play really poor? I think it's just one tournament too far for them. Ditto Belgium. But I, I would also think workload has got a lot to do with it. And I think... Uh, more athletic, robust, younger sides who aren't involved in the craziness of top-flight football. So they're not playing Saturday or Sunday and then Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. They're not in that cycle. I definitely think it's it's to their benefit. Um, you you kind of buried the lead a bit there, though, Andrew, like in what you said, um, because you tweeted this out this morning. Costa Rica broke records against Japan with that fewest touches. 
You have to go back to 1966 for a winning side to have such few touches in the opposition box, according to Opta Gene. Incredible. 1966—I mean, it was a different, absolutely different game then. So, um, credit Costa Rica for defying those odds, and uh, I'm sure Japan now—they've been brought crashing back to earth, and now realizing that they're that group is extremely interesting, um, and there's going to need to be. Uh, a little bit of work done there. So we've got um, Spain on top with four points, and then it's Japan on three, Costa Rica on three, and the Germans on one. Mm. The final round of games there is going to be exquisite. <laughs> really is. I mean, it was it was probably the most compelling group coming in uh, with Spain and, and Michael Germany Goodman both. called it. Michael Goodman. He, he, he said it. He felt that there could be something sneaky. Uh, happening in that group, and we wonder if it's going to be Germany that come out on the wrong side of it. Right now, it appears so. Yeah, I mean, while we're talking about that, uh, should we just go to that game, Spain and Germany? Yeah, um, yeah let's really, do that one. A really nice 1-1 draw. Game played at a pretty high level. Uh, fun game. Lots of marquee talent out there. Lots of near chances uh, for either side to go on and take this one. But like I said, it does... It does end 1-1, and you asked the question in the rundown of who would be happier with this outcome. Like we say, with all draws, there is a winner and a loser. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, they're only on one point. It's not good for Germany, but think of the alternative. They, they, were, they, were, they were about to be eliminated. So just the fact that they at least have a pulse heading into the yes. final group stage match... I think they got to think, okay, we got Spain was always going to be the one, you know, granted they lost to Japan, but coming in, they always thought, okay, well, Spain is obviously going to be the tough one. Um, well, they went into that one needing a result or else, and they did get one. So I think if you're Germany, you're kind of, you're breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief right now, even though the odds still may be a little bit stacked against them. Um, I think, I think you're right. I think in the, in the, in the context of the game, in the co- overall the context, they would have wanted to somehow get a, a win against Spain. But when Morata scored that goal, which I thought was a, I thought it was a brilliant Spanish goal, um, it it looked curtains. It looked really bad because that came after a period of German pressure, and Germany didn't score, and then Spain go and score, and then you're like, oh, so how are they going to do this? Um, but they managed to. In fact, it was. And I'm not blaming anybody, but it was when Balde came in at left back for Spain. You know, they often say on a substitution, sometimes a player comes in and he's not in tune with the game. I'm not actually going to blame him, but there was a ball played into him that it was just, it was overhit. It was a turnover in midfield. And because Balde tries to retrieve the ball, he's out of position and it allows Germany to attack down that right-hand side, the left-hand side of the Spanish defence and get in and full Krug to to finish as emphatically as he did. Um, and if that moment doesn't happen, I don't think Germany score. I don't think they do. And and so it ends up 1-0. So yeah, you're right. Actually, a point, considering everything that happened in that game, was something of a, a, good, a, a good result in the end uh, for the Germans. Should mention, um, Fulkrug's story, like a year ago, he was playing in the second division, um, I think for Hanover. Um or, or it was probably actually Werder Bremen. Um, and like to come from where he's come from is, is pretty amazing. He's the oldest outfield player to make his debut for Germany in 20 years. So he, he made it in, in a friendly um, against Oman. 
He's at, at age 29 years and 280 days. Max, uh, Martin Max was 33 when he made his uh, debut for Germany in 2002, which was kind of generally considered to be an old German team. So um, a big, big moment for him to come on and score the equaliser in the World Cup for Germany. Incredible. Um, I mean, he's probably only there because of the Timo Werner injury, no? Yeah, possibly. Uh, he also gives them, he just looks, he's just a big slab of a man and um, kind of gives them that. I know we're getting into cliche territory again. He gives them something else, Andrew, but he took his goal extremely well. And um, and and if not for him, uh, Germany were in, in serious. I mean, they were going out of the tournament, effectively. Yeah, yeah, potentially. You know, I say before that the odds may be stacked against them. Maybe not. Um, so the German scenario is they've got to beat Costa Rica to have a chance. And if they win by eight goals, that secures them top two in any scenario. However, if Germany and Spain both win, Germany finish second. That is the most likely scenario of things to happen. Um, so I would say that I guess you'd rather be Germany right now than anyone else, with the, I guess the exception of Spain. Um, so for, for however this has gone so far, they're through two group stage matches without a win. It's not it's not doom and gloom. I would say you'd probably, I guess I'll retract what I said earlier and say you probably would bet on them at this point to still make it through. Um, and boy, Japan just, it was all there for them. I mean, to have beaten Germany with Costa Rica up next, like they should be in right now. Uh, that's this. We'll see how things go in their final group stage match against Spain, but of all the teams right now in this tournament, I would think Japan are the ones that'll really be kicking themselves uh, because they they did what felt like the hard part, and they could not finish the job against an opponent that had just been shellacked seven nil. That's this is going to yeah. be a, a tournament of what ifs potentially for them. Very true. Um, can I just direct people towards a a good piece by uh, Barney Roney, who was at the Albat Stadium for uh, Spain against Germany, and his the headline is uh, "No strikers bad, two strikers good." as Spain and Germany shared the spoils. There were no goals until Alvaro Morata and Nicolas Fulkrug came on, uh, changing the scoreline, if not the outcome. And, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to get into the whole debate over, you know, will Germany have enough goals in them? Possibly not. Uh, should Spain be playing without an out-and-out striker? Possibly not. But it was just, it was just an interesting little, little tweak. And I want to say, for all the criticism that Murata gets on this podcast, and he does get a lot, I, th- I thought he took that goal extremely well. And, and German fans can, cr- can shout, and they have been shouting, about Sula not getting across and that it was somehow his fault. I, I, I think it's a brilliant ball in, and, and I, I honestly think that it's a better finish than people are giving him credit for. It's a great finish. Yeah. It's a great finish from him. Yeah, and it reminded me of the of the second Moroccan goal uh, today against uh, against Belgium with the with the outside of the foot which flew into the roof of the net as well. Very very nice finishes at the near post. Yeah, uh, Morocco two, Belgium zero, as <laughs> Belgium are now emerging as the lead favorite for most disappointing team in this tournament so far. Uh, granted, they did win a game, but no one thought they were better than Canada. Uh, despite what the scoreline read after that one was over, and then again yeah. today, this time they were they went up against a team who who punished them for playing similarly. And I guess JJ, if we're going to talk before about players maybe looking a little bit older, players who have had a frantic schedule that coming back and kind of biting them right now in this tournament. I mean, look, I love the guy. He's my EPL preseason pick every single year for Player of the Season. But the human embodiment of that right now appears to be Kevin De Bruyne. His stats today, this is from Statman Dave on Twitter. 
Uh, Kevin De Bruyne's game by numbers versus Morocco. 75% pass accuracy, uh, two for five on ground duels one, one of five crosses completed, 0 for two on dribbles completed, zero shots on target. But JJ, the stat that he posts here that stands out to me the, the largest, uh, 27 times possession lost for Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, and then he finishes it off by saying non-existent. I don't know. You look at losing possession 27 times. I don't know that I'd, I I think non-existent would have actually been an improvement from what his actual performance Detrimental. was. I think he, I think he hurt them. Yeah. Out there, which is not something we say about this guy. I have to say though, you can pick so many other players, Andrew. That you can you can talk about Eden Hazard. I, I mean, there was lots of commentary after the game that, like Trossard, when he comes in, just looks so much. I mean, he is younger. I was going to say he looks younger. He is younger <laughs> and more lively and energetic, and gives you more. But maybe we've come to the point where Hazard shouldn't be starting. The the thing I would say about Belgium, and it's a real problem across two games, is that I don't know what they're doing. There is nothing going on. They neither pass and move the ball well. They neither link play well. They neither create chances or defend particularly well. Like I know they're at the end of their, their line as a team. And I genuinely feel it was rotten luck. And, and unfortunate they came up against such a, a an inspired and an obdurate opponent in, in 2018 because this was their peak. They are so far off at Andrew. They're washed. Like, they're, they're bad. Like, I don't know what they're trying to do. And you don't see, you don't, you don't see any of the, the movement of the 2016 or 2018 versions. They're, they're nowhere. And I, I wonder if it, if it is time to do something drastic and like hook, Hazard, because I don't think he's not going to pull De Bruyne out of the team. I don't think he'll do that. Um, but when, I mean, just I, I want people who watch the game to to cast your mind back to when Lukaku came on the field. Did you see some of the passes they played to him, or to try and get him involved? Like it was, it was amateur hour stuff. There was one ball from deep. I'm not sure who played it. I think it was Alderweireld, and the look that was given by Lukaku, back the field. The glare. Like, what the hell was that? What do you want me to do with that? Like, they just pegged the ball, pinged it at him, and it just shot out over the end line, I think, straight through to the um, to the goalkeeper. Just shapeless. Whereas, on the other hand, their opposition, Morocco, looked full of verve and vim and zest and youth. Just better. Yeah. Um, for however bad it might be for Belgium, it's still all there for them. They definitely qualify with a win against Croatia. It's as simple as that. Win and, and even a draw could be enough if Morocco lose. Um, yeah, and, and and we should mention. I thought Ziyech was was brilliant. Um, yeah, he's kind of Moroccan Pulisic, like a player <laughs> who I'm sure Moroccan fans are watching him at Chelsea, just screaming at their television set, saying, "Why can't this guy get some game time?" And now he's come on with his national team, and he's played really well, and he'll probably get a move somewhere else, and Moroccan fans will be happy. Yeah, I thought uh, Buffal was was great too, uh, formerly of uh, Southampton. Um, I, I I thought they were just they were really 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 good. And if you want to um, listen uh, to us talk about. Morocco and some of the African teams. You can still listen to our uh, our chat um, 
on YouTube about them. We went into a bit of depth on on uh, on those teams, uh, and Morocco were a team that were flagged. Uh, but I, I honestly, I never thought Belgium would be this bad. I thought they'll they'll get out of the group, and they may they may well do that. But I I do not see them beating Croatia, Andrew. It's the tournament of unpredictability, JJ. As oh, soon as you pass judgment on somebody, Belgium, they'll go on and win the whole damn thing now. <laughs> that's, no. what this, that's what this tournament has become. Well, if they do, they have to make major personnel changes because, and this is a nice uh, segue into Canada and uh, Croatia. If they do, they'll have to co- come up with a performance for the ages against a Croatian team that, um, after a, you know, an iffy start, really came into their own and most assuredly were not effed by Canada. <laughs> I mean, you talk about fun storylines in this tournament. This for me is is probably number one on the power rankings of fun World Cup narratives or storylines. John Herdman gathering his Canadian players at midfield after their loss to Belgium and pumping them up saying, you belong here, you've proved you belong here, and now we're going to go and F Croatia. And then he made the mistake of saying that publicly afterwards. Yeah. Like he could have just said, "No, that's between myself and my team." Like he, but, but he was he was in the moment, he was feeling it, and he went out and he told everyone that that's what he said. Croatia took that. I mean, they ran with it. The newspapers in Croatia certainly ran with it as they oh, put a yeah. naked John Herdman on the front of their uh, on the front of their tabloids with a little Canadian flag over his mouth and <laughs> other parts. Um, yeah, they really made him he, out to he be. He has a, the mouth, but doesn't have the the testicles. Uh, and I'll say this: for Canada to come out in the face of that and score a minute and nine seconds into this game, it was actually incredible. It was a scream out loud moment because I think everybody was sort of like, if I told you before this game, someone's going to score in the first two minutes. Nine out of ten people would have said, "Okay, well, that's Croatia because they're furious right now and they can't wait for this game to happen." But it was Canada. That was one of the ballsiest moments of this tournament. Now, what happened over the the next eighty-eight plus minutes suggested that Croatia was, in fact, very much up for this game. But for Canada to do that after Croatia had kind of retorted the way they did to John Herdman's comments, it was a it was a pretty balls moment for the Canadians. They just couldn't was, sustain I, it. And, and listen, because our, our friends to the north are going out, we should luxuriate in that move, which was just a quick, uh, a very quick move to kind of beat the Croatian press. Tejan Buchanan with a beautiful first touch, carries the ball forward, and then a brilliant cross to find Alfonso Davies, who's racing through one of those arrivals in the box that are so hard to deal with from a defensive standpoint, pops up in the gap, heads home, and you did scream. I screamed when that goal went in. Yeah. And it doesn't get much better than that. Literally, it did not get any better than that. No, no. And that was the, anything, maybe the pinnacle of Canadian soccer was that moment. Now, you hope you, that they round out the, the tournament in, in some kind of fashion in the, in the last game. But what happened afterwards was they had, I think they had two to three really good chances. Um, and then they did not take them. And it all just fell apart because Croatia grew into the game. That Croatian midfield really kind of started to take over and looked very, very good. Um, I mean, like Brozovic, Modric, Kovacic, 
Cramerich up front, Perisic, it all started to click. And unfortunately for Canada, and, you know, I mean, it was obvious, Atiba Hutchinson was really struggling in midfield. Now, Atiba Hutchinson's 39 years of age, so it's a lot to ask. And these gaps started showing right in front of the Canadian defence. And you saw what absolutely could not happen was Croatian players running with the ball, attacking that back that back four. Um, they, I thought um, I thought Johnson at right back, Alistair Johnson really struggled, Andrew. I thought he had a rough one. Um, that defence as a whole did. But the midfield was where it kind of fell apart. And I do think that we've been nothing but, but full of praise uh, for John Herdman. He's done an incredible job as Canadian manager, but he needed to make a change much, much quicker. And it was too late. It was 2-1 all of a sudden. And then it was all Croatia after that. And it could have got much more ugly uh, than it did. Um, he, he needed to get Hutchinson out of there. He needed to kind of just make things compact and harder to uh, to run at and expose that defence. And he never did. And it was 2-1 before he even had a chance to really address it. And that was that. Croatia, very, very good. And, and unfortunately, Canada just running out of steam at this tournament. And, and really... They needed that first game was there for them. Yeah, that that and was the one. That was the, the folly one that, that killed them. Yeah, the folly of the penalty, like giving it to a guy who just doesn't take penalties. Yeah. Um, um, look, I, I will say this on on kind of going up against what you said there and defending John Herdman a little bit, saying he needed to make a change quicker. I mean, he made two huge subs at halftime. Like, I don't know how much quicker you would have expected. Like, what do you want him to take guys out in the 35th minute? Like, you're not going to do that. So, like, he took well, out or, Ustakio or the formation, at the half. Andrew. He took out Kyle Laren at the half, brought on Osorio and out of Kegbe, uh, or Ismail Kone. Um, so, like, he he did try. He didn't just sit back and, and allow this to continue. I thought he was proactive. It just, Croatia is just that much better. Uh, so, so. So Well, this is uh, Joe Callan, who writes for the Toronto Star. Um, he tweeted this. John Herdman hasn't made many of them, but a mistake there not reinforcing midfield. If he didn't want to take Atiba off before halftime, so be it. But he could have moved Davies to left back, Laren to left midfield, and Larea as an extra body in the middle. Instead, Croatia stayed rampant, and now it's 2-1. I mean, that midfield was crying out for another body in there, something to reinforce it, Andrew. It didn't have to be a substitution, per se. But Hutchinson was getting overran. They were getting overran as a unit, and it just... It was a bit of a, 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 a tactical naivety. Now, that said, how many times do, do Canada come up against this level of sophistication in CONCACAF? Like, never. No. Never. So it was a real, real tall order for them. Yeah, it, it feels unfortunate. I mean, look, sports are generally a meritocracy. You deserve is nothing, but oftentimes you, what you get is what you deserve. Uh, but it feels wrong to me that they're one of the first teams eliminated. Oh. Totally. Like, I don't know. I feel like that they, especially what they did against Belgium, um, you know, one day in the history books, people will go back and look at this tournament and thought, oh, yeah, Canada, they went out early. Who, yeah, that would have, I could have guessed that. But, like, no, it wasn't, wasn't quite like that. Um, but the strength know, of, feel, the unexpected strength of Morocco is what's caused this to come about. Like, the uh, fact that yeah. Morocco would get a point in the first game and then go and beat Belgium and get four points is now, you know, that. That place, the role of usurper in this group has been taken away from Canada. Yeah. Uh, by the way, here's what Andre Kramerich said afterwards. <laughs> he said, I want to thank Canada's coach for the motivation. Uh, we demonstrated who effed whom. 
Nice use of the word whom, by the way. Yeah. Twas I whom did the effing. <laughs> Not you. You did no effing. I so, uh, am the effer in chief. <laughs> so Croatia looking to, um, you know, they were obviously in the final four years ago, and they're looking to prove that that is not a bridge too far for them once more. JJ, before we get to some of the, the final issues that we want to discuss on this podcast, with this and really every tournament, not just in soccer, but in all sports, one of the, I guess one of the byproducts of this tournament is that we all we all lose our minds to having to watch the same few commercials oh. over and over and over. And I'm wondering Such, oh. I'm wondering if there's a certain so we're we're only two in. Like we still have another like two and a half weeks of watching these same commercials. I'm wondering if there's any that are already causing you to rip hair out of your head. For me, there it's not a full commercial, but there's just one line in one commercial that it just it just does something to me. It reaches a part of my brain that causes a reaction. Go I wonder on. if you can guess. Is it? Can you even try to guess? Okay. Well, from I'll say what's for me, and I think it might be for you. Okay. The Google advert for the phone, no. <laughs> and where where they're going? Uh, um, uh, this month, this year, we're awake. We're waking early, and we're waking up for football. And they say it like that, and then uh, blah 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 blah, and then they keep saying. You know, it goes to these heads on the Google phone. Football, football, football. And then Megan Rapino out of nowhere. It's soccer. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. And I'm not getting into the soccer versus football debate. No, I, I don't. That, that argument, I can't. I hate that argument. I it's hate so it. Dumb. I can't stand all, it. By the way, every all sides of that argument are oh, dumb. Oh, everybody. You're yeah. all terrible. And you're, <laughs> as, um, as someone pointed out on Twitter, you're dweebs for getting involved in it. And if you think, you know, that the chant that gives me the chills, like, it's called soccer. Yeah, like uh, oh, God, guys. Christ almighty. Like, awful, like awful. And and uh, Megan Rapinoe's, like, a lot of time for her. But for her to even sign off and say, it's called soccer. Oh, oh I can't do it. Okay. I cannot do it. For me, the one that I just, again. Qatar. It's new. It's evolving. Come to Qatar. Everything's fine. Don't worry. Come to Qatar. <laughs> no, Look at us. That. Look at the new center we've built. Look at the skyscraper. Sand. Look at Alexi Lalas playing with a falcon. Qatar, Qatar, it's fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. Come. That is not the one I was going to say. Um, I feel bad saying this because I actually like 95% of the commercial. All it's right. the Volkswagen Christian Pulisic one oh. um, where they're talking about the pressure, pressure, pressure. And there's I'm just, just here for the mints. The one line at the end when it's the two people sitting in like the Volkswagen. Pressure creates diamond. Yeah. Every time he says that. Pressure. The way he says it, pressure creates diamonds. Oh, like, why? Ah, I don't know why. Just it's, ah, the way oh, he delivers you know, it. I can't hear it anymore, but I'm gonna hear it for another two and a half weeks. Do you know what's a really bad one as well? Like a, it stinks. Um, Clint Dempsey in the Volkswagen driving across the desert, right? And it starts off with clearly a family of actors, and they're like. We love it, we love it, and then we love your father. We, we support the U.S., and they make Clint do it. And it's just the dignity of this man. This man was a warrior. He was like, he had swagger. He had just a, a menace about him. And to make him sing now in his retirement, I'm sure he's getting loads of money from Volkswagen and U.S. soccer for it. I'm sure of it. But just a, 
and and then he goes and even his let's go is just so weak it's like it's not like let's go it's not like a tom brady let's go it's a let's go oh the poor i'll be man. damned if i'm going to sit here and let you there are some people in sports that i just have a permanent blind spot for <laughs> alan iverson is one yeah lord knows oh, he's yeah. tested that at times uh but i have a i just have one for him clint is another he can do no wrong, and I'm not going to let you sit here and badmouth him on this podcast. It's a bad you, advert. But you know what else has got into my brain? What's that? So, so you know there's a song that they play right before the National Boy, Anthem. Well, I really unlocked something in you. Look at you Oh, right yeah. Now. I want I wanted JJ to has, do this. He's leaned forward now. He had been reclined for most of this podcast, and then I mentioned annoying commercials, <laughs> and I've never seen him so excited. So th- there was one I wanted to mention. Um, it's not a commercial, but there's um, – there's a part of the song that leads into the national anthems. So, so they play this in the stadiums and it comes across uh, our TVs and we all hear it. And it's not, it reminds me of another song. Uh, so it goes, oh, 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 right. Just like that. And all I can think of is caught in a bad romance. <laughs> na, na, ooh, na, 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 la. And so I'm going around the house the other morning. Um, singing "Bad Romance" by Lady Gaga. I haven't, I, I haven't a clue why. And my girlfriend's like, "Will you please stop singing that? This is so." And like, I'm going wandering around in my underpants, like you know, it's one of those mornings. Oh, caught in a bad romance, la la. Like it's so friggin' annoying. For I'm her. gonna be listening for that now. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure other people have heard it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, so. yeah. By the way, real quick, one other note on Clint. Um, I thought it was really cool what they did on Fox when he kind of came out and surprised Landon Donovan to Marcus Beasley with letting them know that they had been that they're going to be inducted into the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame along with uh, Lauren Cheney Holiday, whose story, by the way, is amazing uh, herself as she's dealt with a lot of health issues and, mm-hmm. and is one of the all-time great women's soccer or any soccer player in the U.S. So what a, I mean, what a massive Hall of Fame class with those three going in. But I thought that was cool. My only issue with it was, um, boy, they did that at like, what time was that? That was like 7 a.m. or earlier. Like, I felt like that should have been done later, maybe when more of, of the country would have been watching. Uh, yeah. Like no one on the West Coast probably saw that happen live. I think that was after the, the 5 a.m. game. Um I'm sure there were a lot of people that would have loved to have seen that. Look, I, I'm guessing they have their reasons, but uh, that was my only thing. But yeah, that was cool. And two players, obviously, who uh, any American fan holds dear in Demarcus and Landon Donovan, such a huge part of U.S. soccer history. Those two guys, yeah, um, Donovan just for his overall greatness, Beasley for his greatness and his versatility. I mean, started out up front by the last World Cup, and he's still longevity. playing. Wound up as a fullback at the end. I mean, it was. But he was effective everywhere, um, yeah. and just a, be- two, a couple of beloved players, and, and Lauren Holiday as well. So uh, that was awesome. I thought that was that was very cool. Congrats to to all of them. That's a great Hall of Fame class going in. Um, along those lines, JJ, before we get out, a couple things here. Let's stick with U.S. soccer. Before you Eric- do that, oh yeah. Before you do that, we we we've probably gone too far in this podcast without the breaking news um, of the day. The Times of London. Uh, reporting that uh, Lionel Messi is close to agreeing a deal to join Inter Miami next season, making him the by far and away the the most the best paid player in MLS history. So he would come at the end of his contract with PSG, which is in 2023 next year. So that summer. Um. Now, 
CNN have put out a report by uh, Homera de la Fuente who says Lionel Messi's rep denies report that Argentina captain is in negotiations with MLS Inter Miami for next season. Um, it's false. It's fake news. He says there is no negotiation for Lionel to join Inter Miami next season. Messi's representative, Marcelo Mendez, said in a statement to CNN. However, the Times, Sunday Times, were reporting that. It's if hard it's to true, know. It's happened. It, it, That's the second time we've heard this. Now, there is there is there contractual smoke without contractual fire? I'm sure there's. I don't know. I'm sure there's smoke with this. Um, but he does not want that announced in the midst of a World Cup. That is the no, last. Probably thing not. Um, look, people. If if this happens, I'm sure there will be a little bit of a oh, another example of MLS's retirement home kind of narrative around it well he i mean it's an effective retirement from the top level of football which people think you know is he going to go i mean the pressure now is on to win a champions league that's the way i see it it's it's yeah. been ramped up a few notches but i mean look i know mls has moved in a bit of a different direction they're trying to grab you know younger talent from south and central america uh, as opposed to taking back older talent from europe uh i will say speaking for myself and only myself all of that be damned. If he wants to come and play in our league, we are happy to have him. Please stay as long as you would like. He will fill up stadiums. He yep. will be incredible. It will be fun to watch. I am here for it. And if I wind up being wrong, so be it. Uh, but I, if it's true, I can't wait to see it. I cannot wait to see it. Small stadiums, you know, good soccer-only venues. People are going to have just like up close views of this guy doing his thing. Uh, boy, I would love to see it. I think, and I also think that the other component is with the move to Apple, it's going to be huge. Uh, that could really yeah, help push. Point. That could really push subscribers around the world for MLS, which is what they, they really crave. Um, yeah. So he moves the needle and will continue to do so. Um, but uh, yeah, that was the news that we heard earlier today that Fox even felt strongly enough to talk about on their broadcast from the Sunday Times, a reputable paper of record. And then, of course, the denial, um, because I really doubt they want this um, coming out in the midst of a World Cup. Yeah. Uh, let's see, JJ. A couple quick things before we get out here on this Sunday evening. Um, Eric Winalda made unbelievable <laughs> waves uh, as we awoke. <laughs> God. On Saturday morning, I like couldn't believe it when I just kind of yeah. rolled over in bed and and logged into Twitter and just saw like all of the stuff about Bearhalter and it just set off. I mean, it was just like the confluence of just Bearhalter mania going on all over the place on Twitter for all different reasons. You had Winalda coming out dropping this bomb that Gio Reyna is in fact healthy, and Bearhalter lied about that and then ask Gio Reyna to go along with the lie. All of that seems strange. Um, and then earlier today, it should be noted that Winalda tweeted about the situation saying, uh, in reference to Bearhalter and Gio, I think they've worked it out, recognize that they could have handled it better and are moving on, as should we. Focus on the next game, in my opinion. I love oh, somebody whoa. telling us to basically like, hey, relax, calm down, everyone. Like, 
Just let's focus on the next game, everybody. Hey, you're the one who did this. Like you're the one like, who caused this firestorm. It's like, like being at a dinner party and you're at the end of the table and you've set fire to to Daniela, and everyone's like <laughs> Daniela's on fire, and you're like whoa 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 whoa. I set that fire, but I want everyone to focus on this lovely meal. Yeah. What about I, I, Daniela? Yeah, you can't. Somebody you put, can't have it both ways. No, you can't. Um, you can't look. Flame, I am. Throw grenades and then leave the party and then say, wasn't that terrible about those grenades that got thrown? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Um, yeah, look, like, I, and I should say the Bear Halter Mania, it was that, but at the same time, Bear I just Halter it was, Mania. It's like I the worst like, wrestling mania ever. Yeah. But, like, I just thought it was so funny because, like, Henry Bushnell, who's a great soccer writer over at Yahoo Sports, I'm sure he. He obviously didn't know that this was coming, but like just as all of this bear halter stuff was coming out where all of the anti triple G people had just been given all this ammunition to pile on him, like as all that was coming out, poor Henry Bushnell had his Yahoo sports article getting pushed out at the same exact time, which was like entirely based around Greg silencing his critics. It's just like, oh no, you don't know what you've just walked into. No, Mm. hold on admin. Don't hit send yet. Let it. Let this breathe. We can only deal with one triple G incident at a time. I mean, look, I had doubled and tripled down on the fact that, like, Greg Bearhalter, like, that Reyna, the only feasible, logical explanation for Gio Reyna not playing uh, or only playing 10 minutes through two World Cup matches could be that he's not, that he's not fully fit. Um no other explanation makes sense to me. We all know how great he is. We've all been praying for him to finally get back to full fitness because if he is, we know the impact that he can have. And so this idea that he would be fully fit and still not playing, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, obviously, it's harder to have that position. I know there are some people who are who I've seen on Twitter kind of fair or not are referring to Eric Winalda as an unreliable narrator in this. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. I'm... I don't know him personally. I think he was on our podcast once or twice before, but I don't. When have he ran any kind for of... presidential election, he's been he's been on twice. Yeah, but the I first don't have time any... was on to, to defend the appointment of even before a ball had been kicked. He was on to tell us why um, Bob Bradley was going to be great at Swansea. Okay, that's right. But like, I don't have any personal relationship with him to know how reliable or unreliable he is in this situation. The fact that he referenced Claudio Reyna being ra- uh, raging over this, uh, that adds an element of reliability because now he's brought someone else into this story. Yeah. Uh, so if it's true... We've met Claudio. We had him in studio. Oh, he's, he's one a, of our first he, guests. What a gentleman. He was just great. I don't see him a... raging about this, though. Uh, really? His son being fully healthy? His son having worked back from all these injuries, being fully healthy at a World <laughs> Cup... And not being able to get on the field in two games that were both not tied, that upset, like, up, upset, but not rain, raging. He's again, an we don't know him well enough to know what he would be he's like. He's an ex pro. He knows like how it works. The manager picks the team. He would, he would know. But he's that. a dad. But he's also a dad. Yeah, and yep, like true. so, he has a different connection to this. I, I could see. I don't care how mild mannered anyone is. I could see anybody raging over something like that true. if it's true. And by the way, I guess I, I now need to say myself included. Like, if this is true, and I had kind of gone to bat for Greg on this, I don't get it. Now, it's hard to know what is or isn't true here, um, but, like, I had people then kind of tweeting at me about this, almost like coming to my aid. Like, I needed to be, like, kind of, like, because I had gone so hard on the fact that Reina must be hurt, nothing else makes sense. Yeah. So people then started tweeting to me, kind of saying, like, well, even if he's not, 
you know, there's what's the obvious place for him. And by the way, there is some validity to that. You and I have talked on this podcast over over the last several months on various occasions about the fact that like between Reyna and Aronson, there's no clear avenue into this team. But the only thing I would say to that is fine. That may be true. Maybe he doesn't start, whatever. But you can't convince me that a 100% fully fit Gio Reyna across two games that are both hanging on a knife's edge doesn't call for him to be played for at least more than 10 minutes. And it was really less than that. He came on in the 83rd against England. So seven minutes plus stoppage time. Like, there's got to be an avenue in for more than that. So, look, I'm not going to go too crazy on this because we just, at this point, I just have to throw my hands up in the air and say, I don't know what's true. I'm not Uh on the inside of any of this. At some point, I'm guessing we'll find out what is or isn't true. But right now, we don't know. So there's no sense in getting too worked up over it. But, I mean, if he's fully healthy, it's... That's that's a thing for me that I'll hang on to with Bearhalter because I I have defended him and I defended him on this. But if Reyna was fully fit and you could only get him on there for seven minutes in two games that one of them you desperately need a win, ah, uh, that that's hard for me to stomach, man. Like I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, I don't know. I I think we just parked this one though for now. We're gonna have to let this play out. You're right. I guess you're right. But it needed to be addressed. No, it did. It did. Uh, What are some of the other issues we have here, JJ? I mean, we just called this segment We Have Issues. So so the other one is uh, we've got two flag-related issues. Um, An Iranian state news website has called for the U.S. team to be thrown out of the World Cup by FIFA uh, for distorting the Iranian flag in a social media post. And they they quote some rules uh, where that shall not be done. And then the U.S., uh, told CNN that they removed the central part of the Iranian flag for social media posts and then went back and replaced it. But it was going to be deliberate to show solidarity with those protesting in Iran. And this caused something of a, of a firestorm. It's, it's, and the fact that it made CNN uh, was kind of, kind of interesting. Uh, but now they've gone back and they've reverted to the, to the uh, correct, I mean, correct in inverted commas, the, the Iranian flag as it was beforehand. So this was some kind of show of solidarity from U.S. soccer with those protesting in Iran, um, which I was quite surprised by, um, um, Yeah, to be honest I mean, with you. Like, I don't know, it, it all, I guess if the U.S. is showing solidarity in that movement, maybe their heart was in the right place. The way that yeah. this went down feels a little bit clunky and mismanaged it does feel to clunky. me. Yeah. Um, the fact, you know, the, the Something like that, that's, I mean, you're, I, I know that soccer and politics are oftentimes inextricably linked, but like a move like that is, is deeply political. And to the point where the U.S. State Department felt the need to come out and release a statement on the incident and say that there was no coordination in this, no. uh, they immediately removed themselves from U.S. soccer doing something like that. Uh, so like hard in the right place. Okay. Uh, but still something about the the method of of sending that message felt i don't know felt a little bit off to me well, it's amazing that a non-governmental organization uh would would take it upon itself to we know the situation between the united states and iran and the fraught relationship they've had for nearly 50 years now um to get involved in this in this manner was i i thought it was i thought it strange you know and i'm not saying that um they're, they shouldn't have or should feel like they should never show any gesture of support to 
um, to those protesting in Iran. But was there was there a better way they could have done it? Um, I guess they probably felt not, considering the armband, the way the the armband issue was shut down quickly by FIFA. There would be no in-game way to show support. So I guess this was their small gesture. Um, yeah. But the fact that then immediately the, the U.S. government is distancing itself from that is um, probably shows you that it was not gr- properly uh, executed. Um, so it's just another, as, as if this game needed any more attention, both on and off the field. And uh, the second flag issue, uh, part flag part two, we call it, Serbia are under investigation for a flag that was hung in their locker prior to the game uh, versus Brazil uh, depicting Kosovo as a part of Serbia and the words no surrender on it. And we know how... Um, that who feels that's inflammatory. A, oh, feels very inflammatory. It's a good job then that there won't be any uh, people with links to Kosovo playing for Switzerland versus Serbia in the final group game then. Oh, there will. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, you remember what happened uh, with Jordan Chachiri uh, doing the um, Kosovo Albanian eagle symbol uh, uh, celebrating a goal, uh, or was it him, or was it? Um, was it Jaka? Uh, Jaka was Granite Jaka, I think. One or the other during a game versus uh, Serbia last at the last World Cup. So you know, again, this is this is a pretty fraught situation. So I, I mean, again, ramping up tension, further tension, and uh, the dangerous nationalism coming into what essentially is a. F- a festival of not dangerous nationalism, or, or at least that's how we like to to portray the World Cup. As. Yeah, but the, but nationalism is oftentimes on full display. Um, yeah, during, well, during always, events I, like this. Yeah, and I've always liked to think that it's if there is a, a, the good kind, in, the good kind of nationalism. It is in, in in the World Cup, but you know it's very hard. Uh, it's very hard to keep uh, sport out of larger social societal or, or geopolitical. Sure. Um, Threads. Anyway, uh, finally, uh, <laughs> oh boy, Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, Jurgen Klinsmann is under fire from lots of people, uh, Iranian people, uh, Iranian manager Carlos Quiraz for his comments in his post match analysis of Iran versus Wales uh, for ITV. We're going to have a little listen to what Jurgen had to say about the culture. Uh, of Iranian football. They just stayed on the right side of the law for the referee in another game they might not have done. Yeah, that's their culture. That's their way of doing it. And that's why Carlos Queiroz, he fits really well the Iranian national team. And that's he struggled in uh, South America. He failed with Colombia to qualify. Then he failed with uh, Egypt to qualify as well. And then he went back right before the World Cup now and guided uh, Iran where he worked already for a long, long time. So so this is not uh, by coincidence. This is all purposely. <laughs> this is just part of their culture. That's how they play it. And they work the referee. They, you saw the, the bench always jumping off, always working the fourth uh, lines, the linesman and the fourth referee on the yeah. sideline. Constantly and they're in their constantly in their ears. Um, they're constantly in your face on the field. I mean, uh, Kiefer Moore probably will tell you lots of stories after this game today. He had a... We had a lot of uh, little incidents uh, that we did not even see out here. This, this is their culture, and they, they kind of make you lose your focus. They make you lose your concentration and what's really important to you. And and then they take you, they you take you off. European ref would have been different. Big difference with another referee, the Guatemalan referee, and uh, yeah, I've worked with the for the U.S. for six years. They went to Guatemala, Honduras, Costa Rica, and. 
This is the this fits their culture. It's the nature, basically. isn't it? You know, yeah, they, the they kind of you, work yeah. it out. They have five people around them. They talk it yeah. out. Um, yeah. So can I so just you tell can... you, I guess, where my head was at? Because I heard this. Yeah, go ahead. I've I have a few points to be made um, about it too. So so I I saw before I had heard the comment, I saw that there was a controversy around it. Um, so I then went and watched it a couple times. First I read it, then I went and watched what he said. And like, I don't know, I, the way I heard it and sort of interpreted it was him referring to a footballing culture. Now, I don't know if that is in fact what everybody is up in arms over, or if more was being taken out of this and they, they took it to mean that Jurgen was referring almost to the culture of the people. Um, if that is the case, then that is wrong. That is not how I myself heard it or right. what I took from it. Um, I just took it to mean that like they play a certain way, which you can have, I guess you can have a problem with that. To me, it's not an international incident saying something like that. I mean, look, like it's not a whole lot different than some of the things that people say all the time about the way certain CONCACAF nations play or the dark mm. arts with Argentina or Atletico Madrid or, you know, any, right. any number of teams. Like, is, like is I didn't Chelsea is Chelsea. Uh, is this a cultural thing in Chelsea when John Terry <laughs> used to surround the referee? Is it a yeah, West like, London cultural thing? So I don't know. I, if I had just heard it, I would not have given it. Honestly, I would not have given it a second thought. Um, I, I, I just to cut across you, I yeah. I would I would have, because uh, first of all, let's start with the manager. I think he went in two footed on Carlos Quiroz. You know what? That is true. It felt something felt personal between him and the Iranian manager. And I tried to figure out what might that be. And I look at the plethora of jobs that Carlos Quiroz has got since since he was a failed, uh, I not a good club manager, very good club coach at United as Alex Ferguson will attest, but didn't go well for him at Real Madrid. And then he's gone on this merry-go-round of some successful, some not-so-successful jobs as an international manager. Like, the opposite is for Jurgen Klinsmann. Jurgen Klinsmann hasn't had a job in football since the U.S., right? I don't believe so. Yeah, I'd have, you... have to double-check. And, and whenever you hear uh, of Jurgen Klinsmann potentially getting a job... Uh, you know, yeah, no, he's, he's, oh, he did. He had that, he had that year. Oh my God. Do you remember he had that brief period at Hertha Berlin? Okay. I remember that. I remember uh. the reaction to that was just generally, oh my God, especially from the US and from Bayern Munich fans who remember, remember Philip Lamb saying the guy, he didn't do any tactics. He wasn't particularly right. good in that area. So I guess he's, maybe he has an ax to grind with, with Carlos Quiroz. Now, Quiroz responded very strongly, invited him to come and, and watch uh, Iran and see if it is indeed part of their culture. But then but, also um, immediately called for his job with FIFA. He said, I expect well, you to resign immediately. Do you not think that's a problem, though, that Jürgen Klinsmann is an analyst getting paid by ITV and also working on FIFA's technical committee for this World Cup? I think that's a conflict of interest. Uh, maybe. I, I had not given that much thought either. Oh, well, I don't think it's great. I think you got to do one or the other. Um... But so when 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 I when I heard the comments, I thought first of all, my 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 first thought was everybody does this. 
I have a friend right now who's just got into football, and tonight he said, you know, sometimes I just hate the the, the overselling, the dive, the flopping, the stuff like that. And he sure. didn't say one culture over others. He doesn't. Say, he didn't say I hate when the Germans do it. I hate when the Costa Ricans do it. He just noted from his brief football watching career that everybody does it. And that's what I. That's the starting point. This is not unique to Iranian culture. I, I think everyone does it to some degree. Um, uh, and and the other part to it for me was Jurgen Klinsmann. When he came to England, there was almost a moral panic before he joined Tottenham because of what was he going to bring? Diving. The man was synonymous with two things, goals and diving. And I'll tell you, in some circles, diving more than goals. Uh-huh. So much so that at Tottenham, and it's on his debut for Tottenham against Sheffield Wednesday, when he scored, what was the first thing he did? He did a flat-out dive, and it became known as the Klinsman. It was his response to people who saw him diving. And if you watch his performance in, during Italian 90, I mean, disgrace is a strong word because lots of people do it. He couldn't stay off the floor. So that, it was very strange and a lack of self-awareness from him to say that. But this came across my, my radar this evening. Uh, the New York Times World Cup briefing was sent to my inbox, Rory Smith. He said, he starts out, Jurgen Klinsmann, of course, was wrong. The former United States manager was wrong when he suggested during Iran's victory against Wales that stretching rules and blurring boundaries was part of Iran's soccer culture. He was wrong when he implied that the Guatemalan referee had tolerated it because it was his culture too. Then he goes on to say he shouldn't have been surprised by the reaction from Iran or from Carlos Queiroz and their response was very, was, was very strong, suggesting, you know, German soccer culture should not be judged by the 82 World Cup match known as the shame of Hehan or Klinsmann's own aforementioned dramatic dives. And then Rory gets to, to the crux of it. The only problem is that if we are all completely honest, Klinsmann was right. Pushing the limits is part of Iranian soccer culture. It's part of Guatemalan soccer culture and German soccer culture and South American soccer culture and everyone else's soccer culture, including the English who really don't like it if you point that out. It might be called different things in different places, but being streetwise or indulging in gamesmanship in English, uh, its meaning is the same wherever he says, you know, uh, Picardia in South America, Forbizia in Italian. It's all the same. And in some ways, it's not a slur. If anything, it's said with a furtive admiration. I don't think Carl um, Jürgen Klinsmann's barbs about soccer culture were meant uh, necessarily at Iran, although he should be at pains to point out that everybody does this. And he should have admitted, I've done it. I really, I thought the nastiness was towards Kiraz for some reason that I don't know why. Yeah, your, your theory could be correct. Why is this That's guy getting it, chances and I'm not? Uh, yeah, yeah I don't and, know. And nobody has the moral high ground on this. You go to the park to play pickup tomorrow, there'll be someone who goes over, who cheats, who fouls, who wastes time, who does all those things. I know I've done it myself. It's prevalent in every single soccer culture. And to say it was Iranian culture was probably incorrect, but also correct. It's part of their culture too. Everyone does it. And This might just I be think- one of those situations where those within Iranian football just have no, no use for the, the particular messenger here. The message maybe, he might have been sending may not be wrong, but they don't need to hear it from him. I, I, but it was also unfair to, to Iranian players and the Iranian team 
in, in one crucial way in particular. They were better than Wales. They didn't. This is not how they won the match. You go back and watch that game. They were the better team, albeit they scored two goals very, very late. They were the better side. They had the better attacking opportunities. And I think it was disrespectful to focus on the quote-unquote culture, which we all share, rather than their play. And the way he said it was condescending as well. It did yeah. sound condescending. A little bit, sure. Uh, there you go. What a pod. Before, before we get out, did want to mention um, props to all of you out there on Black Friday who took in the U.S. and England match. You were part of history. Now, there are different metrics by which these are the, the statistics are measured for viewing, uh, for the TV rating. Uh, but by the one that I guess Fox was using that was the most watched, what was it, most watched men's game of all time? Or was it, I'd have to look at the exact phrasing of it. The different metrics come down to the one where uh, the entire broadcast period, which goes through the pregame show, through the game, through the postgame, or the metric of just measuring the in-game viewing. Across the entirety of this broadcast, pregame all the way through, I believe the number was the highest we'd ever seen. Uh, Timothy Burke posted this on Twitter. He said, England-USA on Friday had more U.S. viewers than all but one World Series game over the past five years. 2019 Game 7 had more, despite it kicking off in the morning in half the country. The sport, people care. People care deeply. We know it. We've known it for years. And uh, I'm guessing that this this is a, a, a TV rating that will be bested by some other soccer event in either later this tournament hopefully or certainly in in the the years to come Um, so good job everyone oh yeah and um so it it was the it's the most watched men's soccer match on u.s english television ever so that's the way it was it was qualified uh the previous was the high set by the 94 world cup final between italy and brazil and you know this is a rare win for fox in a tournament where Certainly, in the online community, they've been their coverage has been getting absolutely battered. So, um, yeah, so good I, for- uh, in, in some ways, yeah, it has. I will say, when I saw that, I knew that game was going to. I mean, when we saw that that was England USA World Cup Black Friday, like all the ingredients were there for that to be just a massive TV event. Um, it wasn't a bad game necessarily. Like the U.S. got a point out of it. Oh, but, but it was like, a lot of kickback from people who don't regularly well, watch yeah, soccer, yeah, saying I it was even, a wasted opportunity. Uh, how can people watch this? Well, that that uh, stuff is nonsense, and and I got no use for that. But I will say, like, it would have been cool had something awesome happened with the game being on that kind of stage. It would have. It just yeah. Would've. I mean, like that, awesome that's okay for awesome. us soccer fans to admit that. Like it would have. Right. Um, but. Look, we still got a point, and hopefully it creates an opportunity for more awesome things to happen later on in this tournament when even more eyeballs hopefully will be on what the U.S. are doing. So I'm good with it. Uh, but, yeah, all the stuff about, like, non-soccer fans taking to Twitter and just, like, bad uh, – like, I don't – How do you watch this? I don't I don't know. How that. do you watch a pitcher scratching his balls for an hour and a half for, it seems, yeah. an eternity before he throws a ball into the dirt at nil-nil in extra innings in July in 95 degrees? How do you do that? Every sport is deeply flawed. I don't understand why soccer is the one where people feel the need to just, like, call out its flaws. I don't – it's always been that way. I don't know if people, if like this regular like mainstream sports establishment feels threatened by soccer. If there's oh, like, yeah. I, I they don't know. They fear what they don't know. Yeah, I'm sure there's some of that. I don't, I just don't get it. I've never understood. If you don't like it, like, 
I disagree with you, fine, but, like, you're entitled to not like it, but this need to, like, let everyone know how much you don't like it. Why? Like, I, there's plenty of sports out there that I've got no use for. I don't, why, like, why would I tell everyone that? Who cares? Let's te- I don't let's, get, let's, I just don't get that. But I don't want to get worked just, up over it because that's so, it's so dumb to me. It's dumb. We just need to tell people where they need to go to get us next, Andrew, and then we need to get out of here. So, the next time you'll be hearing our voices on this podcast, JJ... We will either be utterly devastated or we will be to the moon. We will be joining you sometime after the United States versus Iran match on Tuesday goes final. Uh, And that podcast will be one for the ages one way or another. So you will not want to miss that. Like I said, look for that one Tuesday evening, Tuesday night, sometime around there. Uh, We'll get it to you as quickly as we can. But uh, we also have jobs and such. And so we'll get that one out as, as fast as possible. Um, but yeah, that one, that one, no matter what happens, that will be a big one. Uh, so make sure you're refreshing your feeds cause that, uh, boy, I'm, I'm, we're a couple days out and I'm already nervous for it. Um, but I feel good though. I feel like this team, you know, not maybe over the course of a full 90, but coming out of that England game, I feel like this U S team is, is maybe starting to click in the right ways. It just needs to translate to goals. Nil, nil won't do it. There's gotta be goals in this one. And you know, hopefully, hopefully, as an American fan, boy, I hope we see that because uh, they need it now more than ever. And that'll be a YouTube live stream, correct, Andrew? Oh, that I was That's not what... aware of. Oh, wait, hang on. Let me check my notes. I'm checking the rundown that you made. Yeah, I sent you a calendar before the tournament. It's a podcast reaction special. So, yeah. so the yeah, the reason I couldn't commit to the YouTube live stream, JJ, is just because we don't know the exact time yet that we'll be doing that. Ah. Um, Okay. And that, of course, is important when promoting live streams. That's a good so. thing. But we do have a live stream set up for Friday. Oh, December, okay. December 2nd. So, okay. Know. Well, we'll have to. Yeah, I'll, let me look at the calendar because we're getting to a point now where maybe there can be revisions. We'll, we'll go through it. We'll give it a look. We'll see but, what we got But refresh here. the feeds, like, subscribe. That's the best way to know what we're up to. And we've been pretty busy. And now we got to get out. This is too long. I know. I have uh, Eagles Packers coming up in 20 minutes. Sports, no. JJ. Sports, 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 sports. It never stops. I can, I'm excited for this. I'm excited for How this. How could now, you I, watch a game so soccer centric they... that, like, uh, I haven't thought much about anything else, but I am now getting, I got, seeing that it's now 8.05, I'm getting ready for this. All right. You go do it and let's get, let's get everybody, uh, let's get everybody this podcast out. All right. This was, this was great fun. This I hope the one. tournament goes on forever. JJ to you, I say... Check you later, phone boy. I'll see you, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 